0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning Um, and excited to just kind of walk through this morning with you together. Uh, We're in a really exciting time as a church. Got a whole lot going on. If you were here last week, we celebrated uh, the retirement of um, our pastor Emeritus now, um, as he celebrated 24 years of ministry here at Shades. And we look forward to this next chapter that God is writing for us as a church, um, as our new pastor, George Wright, um, assumes leadership and care for us as a church family. And guys, I just gotta tell you, I could not be more excited about the man that God has placed um, as our pastor uh, for this next season of ministry that he has in front of us. Um, So as we prepare for that as a church, we're going to enter into 21 days of prayer beginning tomorrow. We're going to spend time doing three things. Uh, First is we want to personally prepare. We want to ask God to prepare our hearts and our lives uh, to personally be ready for what he has for us as he writes this new chapter of ministry for us. We also wanna pray for our pastor and his family as they transition uh, here in the city. They moved here a couple weeks ago. Kids are getting settled in school. Um, He's getting acclimated here at the church. We wanna pray that God would just show him favor and pray together that that God would would just draw him into this space uh, and into this family quickly. And then the third is we wanna pray collectively. We wanna to pray together that God would prepare us as a church family for what's to come. So our pastor's uh, transition prayer team uh, has written a really great devotional guide for us to use in the coming weeks. And at um, the risk of giving you something to read during the sermon, I'm gonna do it anyway, if you look at the left-hand side of your pew, there is a prayer guide that you can pass down. Um, and I hope that you'll take one of these with you, that you'll pray through it over the coming weeks and, um, and that you'll share it with others. Uh, if you are joining us online today, you can also go to shades.org slash 21 days and you'll find a downloadable PDF version of the uh, of the prayer guide that we'll be using in the coming days. Um, So I'm excited to be in this journey with you, excited for us to be in this together as a church family. Now with this 21 days of prayer, we are also today beginning a three-week sermon mini-series on the topic of prayer. Um, We're going to look at three different aspects of prayer, why we pray, which is what we'll talk about this morning. Um, What, how do we pray? How do we actually go about this? And then third, what happens when we pray? So that's kind of the outline for the next three weeks for us. Um, Each week, there will be a different preacher, um, but we're all going to kind of use James chapter five, verses 13 through 18 as our diving board as we start into praying. So if you uh, haven't got a chance to grab your prayer guide, go ahead and grab that. And also uh, open your Bible, open your scriptures with me to, to James chapter five. As we read verses 13 through 18 together as we get started this morning. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will, be, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like yours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. When we talk about prayer often, I feel like it's talking about physical health. Um, about talking about uh, exercise and eating right and sleeping well and work-rest balance, there are some of us that are just really great at it. We have this natural design and desire to lean into prayer. But oftentimes when we talk about, the, uh, talk about prayer, the thoughts that can come to mind are more, I shoulds, I should pray more, or uh, I'm gonna start that uh, tomorrow, or I'll start that on Monday. I'm really gonna lean into prayer and, and, and spend dedicated time in prayer with the Lord but I'm gonna do it tomorrow because I'm not really that good at it today. Now, there are feelings of shame that come along with it and uh, that, that make us feel like we should, that we should do more, we should pray more, we should ask more, we should talk to God more. But I think there's a reason behind that. And so as we talk about that, uh, we, we don't wanna talk about prayer in a way that seems condemning or defeating, but we wanna look at prayer as what God has designed it to be for us. And so this morning, as we talk about prayer, I think there's a reason that we feel all those things. We feel the I shoulds, we feel the I want to mores, and that's because we are compelled to be a praying people. God's designed us to pray. He's designed us to have relationship with him. He's designed us to talk to him and to hear from him. And so as we talk about prayer this morning, we wanna look at it in that vein, that God designed us for it, that he wants us to do it. He even tells us to do it. So we'll start off with just what is prayer? We can ask this question, there are lots of different ways that it can be defined. Uh, There's a theologian, his name is Wayne Grudem, and he simply defines prayer as personal communication with God. Um, The pastor, Tim Keller, uh, who's planted Redeemer Church in uh, New York City, has written a lot of books, he wrote one on prayer, and he defines prayer as both a conversation and an encounter with God, where we experience awe and intimacy, struggle and reality. But for us this morning, I want our working definition, the one that we're gonna work with for prayer, is that prayer is cultivating an ongoing relationship with God. Prayer is cultivating an ongoing relationship with God. So let's look at three words in this definition just real quickly. Uh, The first is cultivating. When we talk about cultivating something, we talk about developing it, investing in it. If we look at it from an agricultural standpoint, cultivating is preparing ground, preparing space for seeds to be planted in a healthy way that fruit may be born from it, that things would grow from what is planted in that cultivated space. So we wanna develop, we wanna create space for an ongoing relationship with God. When we talk about something that's ongoing, that means it doesn't stop, it keeps going. We keep on keeping on in the way that we pray. And then the last is relationship. We're cultivating an ongoing relationship with God. And that's a connection, It's this cooperative link, it's this giving and taking, it's this um, talking and listening. It's this association that we have with the God of the universe because he desires to hear from us. So we wanna cultivate an ongoing relationship with God and we wanna do it through prayer. But for this morning, we're gonna ask the question or answer a series of questions about why we pray. So three things we're gonna look at is why do we pray? This first set, why do we pray? What are our motives? The second question is why don't we pray? What are our obstacles? And the third is why should we pray? What is God's design? So first, why, why do we pray? What are our motives? Um, I would be remiss if I did not mention the early 1990s theologian, um, uh, Stanley Kirk Burrell, uh, who is better known as uh, MC. Hammer, he wrote a song. He wrote a song called "We've Got to Pray Just to Make It Today." If you're from the '90s, you're an exer, you totally roll with what I'm saying here. If not, Google it this afternoon. it can be your Sunday afternoon entertainment. There's some reality in that. We do need to pray for our every day. We need God's presence in our lives. We need to cultivate that ongoing relationship with God every single day. But the bottom line is our circumstances are our primary motivation to pray. Our circumstances are our primary motivation to pray. Motivation is a powerful thing. It is what, mo- it's what moves us to a point of action, what, what uh, compels us or pushes us in a direction. And our circumstances are that for us. So earlier this week, I asked about a dozen people, to send me what they would consider to be some of their top reasons that people, not them necessarily, but people in general, their top reasons as to why we pray. I wanna give you just six of them that they listed this morning. And I think we can put a lot in these categories and add a whole lot to this list, but we'll just look at six that they offered. The first is thankfulness. We pray because something good has happened and we realize that it's beyond ourselves. It didn't just happen out of anywhere, but we pray to thank God, the one who holds all of time and eternity in his hands, who has all power. We pray and we thank him for the way that he works and the way that he's present in our lives. But we also pray in the midst of uncertainty. We pray when we don't know what to do. We pray when we need wisdom because God actually, in His Word, He tells us when you don't know what to do, when you need wisdom, pray, and God of the whole universe, the Creator God, that He will give that to us. We pray when we don't know what to do. We pray when we face fear and anxiety. And um, I know that a lot of us have experienced a good measure of that over the course of the past year and a half. We don't know what is coming. We don't know how to embrace embrace ourselves for it. We don't know how to properly interact with it. And so fear and anxiety develops from it. And we turn to God and say, God, I don't know what to do or how to respond. Your word tells me that I can cast my anxieties on you because you care for me. And so we do that. We pray in the midst of crisis, when things are so heavy and they're so hard that we know we cannot bear it on our own. And we turn to God and say, God, please intervene here. Please step in here. We pray out of desperation. We pray when we're at our, the, the end of the road, we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do, and so we turn to God and say, God, we need you here. We need you to move, we need you to act, we need you to heal, we need you to restore. God, show up here. And oftentimes, we pray as a last resort. When we've tried everything else, We've tried to manipulate the circumstances on our own. We've talked to everybody that we know to talk to, and we finally turn to God and say, "Nothing else has worked. Surely, God, you can do something with this." Our circumstances—they're our primary motivation for prayer. And this list—this list of six—or the list that you would, uh, what you would add to this list of six on your own. It really aligns with what James tells us in chapter five, verses 13 and 14, when he asks, is anyone suffering? Is anyone celebrating? Is anyone sick? And the answer, of course, to these questions is yes. I could ask you, I could ask in the room this morning, um, do not raise your hands, but I could ask, are any of you suffering? Are any of you celebrating? Are any of you sick? And of course, hands are gonna go up. We can relate to this. We all have things that are going on in our lives that we just don't know what to do next with. We all have things going on in our lives from time to time where we're like, this is just too good to be true. And so our response is to turn to God in prayer and thanks. We have things in our lives that bring us to our wit's end, that make us feel like we have nothing left to give. And we turn to God and ask him to give all he's got to it. James names our situation here in chapter five. We have stuff to pray for. We have a lot to pray for. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 17, it says it straight out. It says, never stop praying. Whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, that is an opportunity, that is a space where we can, where we should pray. Think about it like this. It's like God has given a picture frame to our circumstances. In prayer, he has given something to hold our circumstances together and he's given a lens for us to see our circumstances through. If our circumstances are motivate us to pray, to reach beyond ourselves, to ask um, the God of unlimited power, unlimited ability to step in and to enter our circumstances, that means that every single circumstance that we find ourselves in is an opportunity for us to develop, to cultivate an ongoing relationship with God every single time. It's like God invites us to invite him into our circumstances. So why do we pray? Our primary motivator is our circumstances, and that's not a bad thing. James names that, when things happen, it is an opportunity to turn to the Lord. But our second set of questions is why don't we pray? What are our obstacles when it comes to prayer? and our circumstances are our primary obstacle too. If they are what motivates us, our circumstances also at times bring us to a place where we are hesitant, where it's an obstacle. It causes us to move more slowly or to keep moving more aggressively toward, toward prayer, toward what God wants for us. It's like driving, but having one foot on the gas, our motivation, and one foot on the brake, we sit and we rev the engine, but we don't really go anywhere because our circumstances can put us in this really prohibitive space. I asked the same group of people, the same group of dozen folks, if they were going to name what are some obstacles to prayer. Not for them, but just kind of in general. And they gave several, several different um, responses, but I'm going to name six this morning. The first is, we don't pray because there's not a need Everything's going good, we feel like we're kind of in this space of, of, um, of, of just general calm and comfort, and so we don't have a need, and if that's the primary reason that we turn to God and we don't have any, need, then we, we just don't pray. The second is we, we don't know how. And as a pastor, I, I hear this one a good bit. I want to pray, I know I should pray, I know that God designed me to pray, but I'm just not quite sure how to do it. When we get to the end of our time together today, we're gonna to spend just a few minutes in prayer together. And then next week, we're gonna de- devote a whole sermon just through this one topic, how do we pray? The next is it's not a priority. Um, we could put this under the category of busyness or I've got too much going on or work is too heavy, my family's too young, whatever you wanna kind of, kind of categorize that. Uh, we don't pray because it's not a priority. The third is shame. We have done something or we have positioned ourselves in such a way before the Lord that we think if we talk to him, we've messed up too bad for him to actually hear what we're saying and that he would even hear me, that he'd even respond to me because of the things I've said or done or thought or believed. The next is skepticism or doubt. We don't pray because we're not sure if it works um, I've, I've heard this phrase a good bit. Sometimes I feel like when I pray, my, my thoughts, my prayers to God, they just go up and they hit that threshold of the ceiling and then they don't go any further than that. They even bounce back down and tell me how they're unanswered. Skepticism or doubt. And the last one is we don't pray because it didn't work. We've tried it before. We had a really significant circumstances, uh, circumstance. All those that we just listed before as reasons that we do pray We tried it, we did it, and nothing happened. The thing that I asked for, the healing I asked for, the good grade I asked for, the relationship to be restored that I asked for, it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to turn out. And so we end in disappointment, we end in frustration. We're gonna take a second this morning and we're gonna look at two scenes in scripture with Jesus when it comes to ask and request and response. I think oftentimes we find ourselves like two sisters, Mary and Martha, after their brother Lazarus passed away. This is in John chapter 11. Lazarus was sick, um, and he was close to Jesus. Uh, All three of them were, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, were close friends with Jesus. Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. They're asking him to come. This is like a prayer. They're asking him to come and to enter into this situation of sickness and difficulty to meet their friend Lazarus where he is. I wonder if this is one of the scenes that maybe James was thinking about when he wrote, are any among you sick? He was likely there. Jesus acknowledged Jesus, uh, Lazarus' sickness, but he showed up too late, what they deem is too late. He showed up, Lazarus had already passed away. And as Jesus is walking into town, he's walking toward Mary and Martha's house. Martha comes out to meet him. And the way that the scriptures read in John chapter 11, she just starts right out of the gate. Jesus, if you had shown up, he wouldn't have died. If you had cared, if you had known how much this meant to me, if you had known how hard his death has been for me, for our family, you would have shown up. You should have shown up. You could have, but you didn't. Jesus and Martha, they keep talking. They talk about life and death and resurrection. And Martha believed, but she was still sad she was still disappointed in her grief. And I would say that it is likely that some of you, maybe even all of us in this room this morning, have experienced something like this, have experienced these thoughts. God, I prayed, I asked, and if you would have shown up, it would have turned out different. I know I felt like that before. But then we get much later, not much later in John chapter 11 to verse 35, with two little short words, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Now I know that this verse often gets quoted and it, um, it gets a lot of airtime because it's so short. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's the easiest to quote. But we cannot let what is happening in this verse get lost in the big picture of what's happening. Loss has happened, grief has happened. Jesus was called on, circumstances didn't change. And we see Jesus standing there in that situation crying, weeping with Mary and Martha over the death of their brother, his friend, Lazarus. He meets his friends in their grief. He meets them in their compassion. He sat with them in their loss and their disappointment. Jesus didn't cry because he couldn't change it, because he could. Jesus didn't cry because he didn't know the outcome. Jesus cried, Jesus wept because he cared, because he met his people, he met his friends, he meets us in our circumstances. In the middle of their grief in John chapter 11, Jesus does this crazy miracle. He called Lazarus out from the grave and Lazarus comes walking out of the tomb and in the way that it's described with these, with these burial cloths, these burial strips still hanging from his body. People are saying, don't call him out. That's gonna stink. It's gonna get weird. And Jesus calls him out. And we might look at this and say, well, Jesus did that for them. This is a good story to tell. It's good that we're able to recount it this morning, but he hasn't done that for me. He didn't call life out of death. He didn't call healing out of sickness. He didn't show up and nothing changed. But I want us to pull up that frame that God gives us in prayer. I want us to look at our circumstances and how they hold them together. Because if we think about what happens here, Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, but Lazarus still died. There still came a time when his body got old, it got sick, it broke down. His loved ones still gathered around him again likely and they grieved his loss. What happens here in this scene, it's not just about, it is about life from death, but it's not just about that. They got more than their brother back. They got more than their prayer answered for that physical response. They got Jesus with them right there with them in the middle of their circumstances. And in the middle of that circumstance, he's giving space for their faith to grow. Jesus didn't just resurrect their friend to give the two sisters what they wanted. He showed up so that they would believe. He met them in their grief to give them hope that would outlast Lazarus's body. This first scene, second scene is in Luke chapter 22. we We're gonna take this a step further where Jesus is actually the one in the circumstances. On the night that Jesus was arrested before he was crucified, uh, and he knew that that was about what was about to happen because he's Jesus and he knew what was coming next. I also wonder if maybe this point of suffering that we're looking toward here is maybe one that ran through James's mind as he's inspired by the spirit to write this in James chapter five, when he asks, are any among you suffering? Prayer was a real priority to Jesus. And on this night, he gets away to a quiet place and he draws some of his friends with him. And he goes there to pray and he asks them to pray as well. And in this scene, he went to the mountain to pray with his friends. In verse 42 of Luke chapter 22, Jesus prayed, "'Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. "'Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done.'" He was saying, God, if there's any other way to accomplish this, if there's any other way to buy people back into relationship with you, if there's any other way to do this outside of my death, let's do that. God, change my circumstances. And just moments later, moments later, he'd be arrested in that same place and he would later die on a cross. The major thing that we see, the major two differences that we see in these circumstances are the response to difficulty, Mary and Martha, they respond like a lot of us would, like I would, in in ways of accusation. God, you didn't, why didn't you? You could have, you didn't, if you'd shown up. And Jesus's response is the perfect one, the response in our place. It's one of trust. God, not what I want, but what you want. So why we pray, why do we pray, why don't we pray? And then third, why should we pray? God's design. God designed prayer to change us and the things around us. God designed prayer to change us and the things around us. Um, I don't want you to hear what I'm saying as like something that you would find on a plaque in Hobby Lobby. This is not a trite saying. This is not something that we're just saying to kind of give reason to how God works and shows up in physical ways and how he doesn't. But this is God's design for prayer as we're cultivating an ongoing relationship with God. He designed us to do that so that we would change and so that the things around us, that history would change. The Bible tells us about God's design for prayer through the whole thing. Every genre, narrative passages of scriptures, they tell us stories about prayer. Passages of scripture that are based in the Old Testament law, they're rules for prayer, poetry books, The book of Psalms is one big book of prayers and we see David all over the place in that thing. The gospels, they show us how Jesus prayed and how he teaches us to pray. Letters to the churches, even in times literature, uh, Revelation itself, it talks about God's design for prayer. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter four, we read about when people first began to call on the name of God. And when we get to the very end of the Bible in Genesis chapter 22, one of the last things that we read, the second to last verse is a prayer. Come Lord Jesus. He designed us to pray. If we think about our lives like a song, I don't know if you're like me, I love music. If you think about your life like a song, Prayer is the chorus that we keep coming back to over and over again in the midst of our stories. We return to it, we return to it over and over and over again because God designed us to be in relationship with him and to cultivate that ongoing relationship with him as our father. In Genesis, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, there's this one little snapshot about prayer where the writer of Exodus talks about Moses and how Moses used to talk to God like friends talk. I love the way this reads. I think it takes this kind of like other feeling that comes along or this other view of, that comes along with prayer of prayer is this other thing. It's not normal. I'm not talking face to face. It's not a legitimate, I've got somebody sitting in front of me and they hear what I'm saying and I'm speaking and they're speaking and I'm hearing what they're saying. We put it in this kind of other category But when we look at this little scene with Moses and God, and we see that Moses talked to God like a friend, and we put that in our picture frame of circumstance, we can get that. We know what it's like to talk to a friend, right? For the past 15 years or so, every week I have had lunch with my closest friend outside of my wife with my closest friend every week for the past 15 years. And when we get together, we talk about all sorts of crazy things. We talk about things we're excited about, something awesome that happened in the week, something that we had to share because we share things that we're excited about with people that we're close to. We talk about things that we're going through that are difficult, that are hard, things that we hadn't expected, things that we wish would change. And you know, oftentimes as I'm spending time with my friend and we're talking and he's sharing and I'm sharing, there's not a whole lot I can do about his circumstance. There's not a whole lot that he can do about mine. Sometimes we jump in and we fight for one another, we fight with one another. But in the middle of that, we are just present, we're hearing, we're growing in our trust of one another, we're understanding God's empathy and compassion toward us just by the presence of a friend with us. And so what if we look at prayer rather than this mystical thing that we're not really sure how to do and we put it in our context of friendship, what if we looked at our friendships as a mirror for God's design in prayer? That the more that we do it, the more time that passes as we pray, the more trust will grow. If we look at prayer as a, uh, outside of this relationship, outside of trying to commune and cultivate an ongoing relationship with God, if we look at prayer like, um, like the movie Aladdin, you guys know the Disney movie I'm talking about. I'm sure it's some old book that Disney turned into a cartoon, but you know what I'm talking about here. There's a genie that comes out of the lamp. And when the genie comes out of the lamp, the genie says that there, he's gonna grant three wishes of whoever the person is holding the lamp. And if we look at the at prayer to God the same way, we've gotta do it just right. And if we do it just right, then he's gonna answer my request. He's gonna hear what I'm saying and he's gonna re- respond. We turn prayer into a transaction. You follow what I'm saying here? A transaction's where I give you something and you give me something in return. I do something for you, you do something for me in return. And that's not how prayer works. The transaction that has already taken place is what Jesus did for us on the cross when he took everything that separates us from God, everything that would be a barrier for us being able to cultivate an ongoing relationship with him. He took all that junk with him on the cross and died, putting death to it so that we can have an unhindered, open relationship, ongoing relationship with God, our Father. That's the transaction that has happened. It's the only one that needed to happen. And it opens the door for us to do just what Michael talked about, to come boldly before the Father, boldly before God, because of what Jesus has done. So our prayers, our interactions with God, they are not transactions. Prayer for us is an invitation. God invites us to pray. This is the way that James describes it. Is any among you fill in the blank? Here is an opportunity to pray. We should pray because we want to grow and trust that God will give us exactly what we need every single time. Not what we want, but what we need. And in our prayer, in our coming before him, in us raising our white flags of surrender and saying, God, I cannot do this, but you can. We are growing and cultivating our relationship with God. Friends, there are some of us in the room today that there is one prayer that we have not prayed, and it is the most important one that we can offer where we come to God in belief in Jesus Christ and repentance from our life apart from him, and we ask him to save us. This is where things start. This is where the door opens to full life in relationship with God the Father. It only happens through Jesus. And if that's you here today, we would love to talk with you after the service, either in the connection room or through the contact form at shades.org news. We'd love to talk with you about that, about that one prayer that will change and unlock everything in your life. God designed prayer to change us. And that's the first way he does it and to change the things around us. Sometimes it's our circumstances, sometimes it's our perspective. But when we spend time cultivating an ongoing relationship with God, something always changes. There's a guy named uh, Richard Foster. He's a Quaker that's been writing on uh, spiritual practices for a long time. And he has this quote where he says, in prayer, real prayer We begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. When we spend time cultivating an ongoing relationship with God, things change, we change. And friends, as we look at the world around us today, there are a whole lot of things that we can pray for, a whole lot of things that we can spend time going before the Father, cultivating a relationship with him, asking him to work, to show up in the middle of it. Afghanistan, Haiti, Lebanon, sickness, illness, uncertainty in your home, maybe sitting on the pew next to you, there is need for prayer all around us. And so this morning, as we finish our time together, we're going to pause and we're going to do that. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. And we don't close our eyes when we pray because it's magical um, or God does something only when we have our eyes closed. We're gonna close our eyes so that we won't be distracted, so that we'll be able to focus our full attention on God as we speak to him, as we talk to him. I'm gonna encourage you to not overcomplicate things. If stuff starts running through your head the minute that you uh, close your eyes, just start giving those things to God. If you start thinking about lunch, just say, God, lunch is yours. If you start thinking about an issue you had with your spouse, God, that issue with your spouse, your roommate, that thing's yours. Just start tossing it up to the Lord. Don't overcomplicate it. Talk to God. Think thoughts toward him. Ask him to change you and the things around you, and then do it. Keep on doing it. Cultivate that relationship. Get to know him as you pray, and change will happen. You spend a few minutes, a minute or so on your own, and then I'm going to pray for us and we'll continue in worship together. God, it's amazing to me this morning that you hear us all at one time as we talk to you that you don't just hear us, but that you know us. God, that you want to enter into the circumstances of our lives, that you want to be present with us. And we know that because Jesus came to be present, because you gave your spirit to us to be present with us. And so God, this morning, we just together say at the outset of these 21 days, at the outset of these three weeks of sermons, God, we tell you that we want to cultivate an ongoing relationship with you. We don't wanna just come to you with our list of yes pleases, of God will use. We have those, our circumstances give those to us, but God, we wanna, we want to know you more. We want to be known by you more. God, we want to be people that are living, thriving lives in relationship with the holy and living God of the universe through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So God, this morning, I pray that you would set us apart God, that you would open our minds, our hearts, our ears, our eyes, that we would give all of life to you and cultivating that ongoing relationship with you through talking to you, through spending time with you, that you'd grow our trust, you'd grow our faith because you are trustworthy and faithful. God, we love you. We thank you for opening that door for us to talk with you, to spend time with you. God, we pray that you would bless these efforts, that you would place a desire in us to pray and spend time with you. God, and that you would change us and you would change the world through it. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in his name, amen.